Welcome to the New Stories Podcast. In this episode, Rodney speaks with Brenda Crawley, head of Plymouth Meeting Friends School, and Karen Cumberbatch, head of Carolina Friends School. Brenda and Karen share their experience as members of the SSFS community and reflect on what it means to be a woman of color in a leadership position, decision-making during COVID-19, and what drew them to Quaker education. Well, I am excited to truly be with these two dynamic leaders whom I've known both of y'all for quite a while um, before I got to Sandy Spring Friends and of course continuing to know you now that I'm here. And so welcome to Brenda Crawley, who is head of Plymouth Meeting Friends School and is it in Plymouth, Pennsylvania? In Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And to Karen Cumberbatch and Carolina Friends School. Is it in Raleigh, North Carolina? In Durham. So a lot to talk with these leaders about and really thinking about the, their connection to our school and also just what they're doing to change the world through their Quaker leadership at their own schools. So I want to start with maybe that big box question of what would you say is your connection to Sandy Spring Friends School? We know you are alum employees, but y'all's connection goes deeper than that. What's your connection to the school? I spent uh, 15 years at Sandy Spring Friends School, and my first uh, awareness of, of Sandy Spring, I guess, came perhaps because I was at Friends Seminary in New York, so I knew a little bit about Sandy Spring when I moved to, to this area. But even prior to that, because I had the experience at Friends Seminary, and I also was having a child, I was looking for a friend school experience for my son when I uh, knew I was pregnant. I, I didn't come immediately to Sandy Spring from New York, but I was looking for a friend school. So I actually was gathering materials for friend schools. I also happened to end up working at an organization where I was helping to identify teachers of color for friend schools and for independent schools. And that also put Sandy Spring on the map for me. So when I had the opportunity to both get a job and then have my children attend, that felt like the perfect sort of synergy way opening, really, for my family. So I spent 15 years um, at the school as a dean of students in the upper school and then upper school head. Awesome. So an alum parent as well. Yes. And my daughter actually went to Sandy Spring also through her sophomore year. And then that's when we moved here. Right. Right. Wow. And what about you, Brenda? My Sandy Spring story is certainly shorter. I was head of lower school for eight years. I had been an administrator in another school for a number of years before that and just only been in the independent school world. Went looking for adventure. And someone said, well, have you heard of Sandy Spring friends? They're looking for a lower school head. I'm like, what? Sandy Spring? What? And so true to my nature, I did my little, you know, drive by to try to figure out where this place was and uh, did a little research into Quaker education and Quakerism and ended up spending eight lovely years in the lower school, the best division of Sandy Spring Friends School. I stand by that. And a year after I got to Sandy Spring, I brought our son Jonathan there. He was just finishing middle school and I didn't want to disrupt that. So he started in the upper school, actually graduated with Karen's son. They're in the same class. So both of our guys, our young men are about to go out in the world as college graduates. Yes. Wow. 
yeah, wow, yeah. wow. And then they come back home, right? No. Certainly, <laughs> 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 maybe, given what's going on. Well, so interesting. And I don't actually know if the two of y'all knew this, but I was thinking about my own journey to Sandy Spring Friends School, and, and each of you is in your own way the reason. So the very first time I stepped foot on campus would have been about 2012, Karen, and I don't know if you remember that. I came with Chris Hill, who was doing diversity work here, and I'd grown up with him. His mom used to babysit us when we were in kindergarten, and he brought me to work with the upper schoolers, and that was when I had first met you and had never seen this campus before and fell in love with it and the history of it. And then it must have been six, seven years later, Brenda, that you brought me back and said, we're trying to do this diversity audit where you come in and work with us. And so I came back, you know, at that time and after finishing up the audit was when they had a school job opened up. So if it were not for the two of y'all, I probably wouldn't be <laughs> standing here and so comfortably here. So thank you for being my introduction once and then twice to, to Sandy Spring Friends. That's a nice, and, and, a nice thank you during the pandemic. <laughs> but you, and we'll get into that, right? Leading in the in the pandemic, I will say, if I was going to lead anywhere, it would be here. And and you all know, at this time in headship, if you don't love the place you are, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So and maybe that takes us to the next question: is thinking about. Brenda, former head of lower school, I'm a former head of a middle school, Karen, former head of upper school, and now all three of us heads of Quaker schools. What drew y'all to Quaker education? So I think for me, I was definitely looking for a progressive school environment, right? And, and one that really kind of recognized that they want to build communities that look like the rest of the world. And then willing to do the work around that. But most importantly, all of who I am and who I bring um, into a school community, for me, it had to feel like home. And that's not necessarily going to be the truth in any and all independent school or any and all parochial schools or whatever. So for me, I had to feel a connection really with the values of the school, I'm going to call them values. There's a leaning against now necessarily saying Quaker values, but really talking about the faith and practice in Quaker schools and Quaker communities. And so that really did resonate with me. I'm all over spiritual, but don't proselytize to me. I don't need you to convert or convince me. I need you to see me for who I am. And I love the notion of being in a school where that is core. That's, that's how raising them from babies all the way through. The notion of empowering a child to, to, to come to an understanding they have a voice. I went to Catholic school, there was none of that. <laughs> There's none of that. So that is, you know, being able to kind of align myself, my own core values with that, which aligns with Quaker education, I was all in. It, it wasn't a hard sell for me. Mm. And Karen, you were, were much more attached to the Quaker world when you came here. Yeah, because I fell into my first Quaker school in New York. I, I didn't even know that it was a Quaker school when I applied for a position there and went the whole route from administrative assistant to intern and teaching and then sort of progressed from there. So what I found as a very, very early educator was a place that was, it was affirming in all the ways that, that that Brenda just talked about, 
But it was also a place where, as a young educator, that sense of collaboration, of really empowering and equipping the teachers to be able to hold the students in a way that would help those students to become whatever it is that they that they wanted to become to provide them with that opportunity like that that was also as a 20 I don't know what how old was I like 23 year old a 24 year old like that was really an important sort of grounding element for me and what it meant to be an educator so for me to be an educator was to be a Quaker educator it was to be able to see that of God in your students and in each other and to think about committees and to work in collaborative decision making and all of those pieces for me were what independent schools were because I had no awareness of independent school either so independent school Quaker school, friends education, it was all the same thing for me. So the the one time when I sort of stepped away from that, it became really clear to me what it meant to be in a friend school and how engaging and empowering and, and how meaningful it was to be able to participate in a school that really took that notion of being a community to heart and to really lifting that up. In, in ways that were where individuals could see themselves and their worth and their value and their participation, but you could also see the the collective value of of working together and, and what could be accomplished when like-minded progressive people created a school, worked together in, in creating an educational experience. I resonate with both of those early on in, in my tenure in Quaker schools and also thinking about the commitment to inquiry that really drew me and, and Karen talked about Quaker education is just education. And I think that too, because when I think of education, I think about asking the questions and not necessarily being concerned with finding the answers, but where are these questions gonna take us and what other questions are gonna arise from it? And so I, I love just what y'all have said. And I'm thinking about this particular Quaker school and looking on the screen at three heads of color in NAIS schools where there are not very many heads of color and this school being integral in producing three of them. And so what did you gain here that you took with you when you left that helped you in your leadership? I, I, I very much valued the, the opportunity to work with the other division heads in particular and with the two heads of schools that I had the opportunity to work with really being able to share ideas, to really think in deep ways and honest ways and to engage with each other honestly about some of the, the challenges that we were seeing in the school at whatever given time, the challenges that we might be having personally, and, and to really gain sort of strength and wisdom from that collaboration and to, to recognize that in my leadership, I did not have to be a particular kind of leader that you know, there was a way that one could fulfill that leadership role in different ways. And that was that was all positive. That was all to the benefit. And so it helped to to help me to rely on others, help me to understand that I need, didn't need to be the center and that I could, you know, with the collaboration of others, I could demonstrate my leadership in, in whatever the form was that, that felt right for me and comfortable for me. I think it also really helped me to just see how to work with students, how to work with staff in a, in a way that would help to uplift them, how one could do that in authentic ways, I would say is, is definitely a part of my leadership journey at uh, Danny Spring. 
Mm-hmm. And this is why I don't like to speak at the Karen Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> now, I agree with all everything that you said, really. And I think the only pieces I would add is coming from being a division head at Sandy Spring, which was amazing. And it is an amazing collaborative role. Like you have to understand that you are just part of a whole, you know, at Sandy Spring, we always talked about being a community much more than we talked about being a school. And so the community has a lot of voices and a lot of parts and a lot of people with a lot of different responsibilities. And I think being able to take that understanding here as a head, and I'm in a much smaller school than, than SSFS, but the notion that there are all these other people who have responsibilities and have voices, I can just stop. Right. And I can rely on their expertise and their experience as we kind of collaborate to make decisions together. Also, just this this notion of, you know, as a head, you're running a school, you're running a business. Mm. Right. But never lose sight of the people who make that business work. And you never lose sight of the people that that business serves. So the those people, those students are everyone's goal. Like their success is everyone's goal. Their journey, whatever the heck it might look like, it might be rocky for some, smooth and breezy for others, but though that, that they take that journey, that's our goal. And in order for them to do that, everyone who's here on this campus, every adult has to feel valued, cared for, listened to. That's not just a Quaker school thing. That is certainly a head of school thing because it does come down to, you know, you're that maternal figure, you're the decider in the Quaker community, you're the mm-hmm. spiritual advisor, and, and this year with the medical advisors. And there are a lot of there are a lot of decisions that you have to make, but at the heart of those decisions, like for me, again, this is a big takeaway. I think I learned it in all the years that I was a division head. It just escalates when you're head of school that these are people's lives. These are my colleagues. They deserve to be valued and cared for. Fellow administrators need to be heard and understand that they have a stake in this game, but Every child and every family needs to feel like when when they are here, they're home. They're seen, they're heard, loved, cared for. So that's a big piece. And then amid all that, you have to help the business. You have the responsibility as head to help the business stay stable and grow. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that intersection you're talking about, right? School as an educational center, school as a community center, and then school as a business. And certainly no time like this year has all of that kind of intersected and intertwined in a way that has school leaders trying to juggle all three of those in some profound ways. What's it been like to be a school leader in the middle of the pandemic? For me, you know, well, it's very stressful because I love to be in the mix with students, right, here on campus and like walk around. I get to to see them. We have very protected pods and each pod has their own facility. So I try not to pollute that. So there's some distance. It's a very old school. We're like 241 years old. There's a lot of tradition, a lot of it around community building, right? And so for me, I've not yet had a full year on campus 
with all events and customs in place. So that piece has been difficult. I've devoted the majority of my energy certainly to looking at the business side of things, but all the ways that we can tie this community together when we spend a little bit of time on a screen on campus together, but in separate pods and separate spaces, tying families together, connecting with them. That that part, that's been, those have been my goals and it's been, they've been my challenges, right? How do you make people feel connected if they haven't ever stepped on campus this school year? And say to them still, that's fine. I want you to be where you are, where you feel safe and you're still in this community. You might be brand new, but you're still in this community. You're a big part of the community. So that's been a challenge and you have to be creative. Right. And forgive yourself for not having all kinds of answers. <laughs> right? Are you feeling that, Rodney? Like, people want answers. Yeah, well, still being new, I can say I don't know. <laughs> so I still reserve that card. But, but I think you're right in terms of people want all kinds of answers. And because the answers are so varied that, that we're in a place where you can't please anyone with your answer. There's no definitive answer. Right. And it's really challenging to lead in that way and that it doesn't matter which way you go, there are challenges and joys on either side. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's such a, not just challenges and joys, but also it just, it, some parts of it feel so high stakes. You know, whatever decision you're making feels very high stakes. So if you're in session, you're worried about the health risks and the physical safety of the of your community, teachers, students, potentially family members that are connected to either the teachers or the students. On, on the other side of it, though, the whether you're in person or not, but the, the mental health sort of pieces that have been so much a part of this. And, and Brenda, you mentioned, or Rodney, the, the spiritual, holding the spiritual health, but also this mental health that everybody's feeling stressed regardless of where they are along the continuum or whether they're in or out, everybody's feeling this additional layer of stress and how to be able to hold that piece of it too. Again, when there is, as you said, no right answer. And so you're just in this constant state of trying to, to do your best, make the decisions based on all of the information that you can get, and yet always feeling like you're coming up short for somebody because we just don't have the capacity to be able to really fully meet everyone's needs. So I guess I would repeat that word stress. It, it has been really stressful. Mm. And we'll add the comfort, you know, like being a new head last year and then you're being a new head this year, Rodney. So Karen, look, you're a seasoned veteran. Look at that. But sometimes when we're in these meetings with other heads, notably other friend school heads, some who have been heads for decades mm -hmm. and you know they're kind of like oh i don't know <laughs> i'm like oh my goodness <laughs> you don't know right but it is that time when there are so many unknowns and as the school leader right, as the head of school different people expect you to have answers that at right. this particular time in this particular social climate political climate health climate we're like oh I don't know, but they don't want to hear, I don't know, right? So I've always kind of stood on like, don't make stuff up, Brenda. Don't make, 
Don't make it up, but acknowledge, you know, I hear you have a question. I know it's a concern and I'm not going to pretend like I have the answer. Right. And that's, it is, that's stressful for, for me. Cause I, you know, I like answers. I like it clean um, <laughs> and orderly, but uh, yeah, that's a piece. Mm, mm. Well, and, you know, thinking about that, I know teachers are feeling like even our most veteran teachers are new this year. Education has changed so much on a dime. I think that's true of heads of school. And, and I am new this year, but I feel like my veteran colleagues are saying, listen, we're all <laughs> new to this this year. And so what it has done is created some chances to really think about what innovations are going to stay with us. Mm -hmm. What things are we going to do differently moving forward? Because the challenge of the pandemic has given way to some innovations. And I think that when we get to the other side of it more clearly, I think that will be the conversation amongst heads of schools and then Quaker heads folly out amongst them because we're always innovating and always sitting and reflecting. And I think that's something that Quaker heads do by nature of being Quaker that we pass on to other heads is the slow down and the wait for you know, the right time and the right amount of discernment. Thinking about not just the pandemic of COVID-19, but we've got the pandemic of racism and sexism and classism, right? And we've got the panic of politics. And so all this stuff going on this year as, as leaders of color and as women of color, how has it been? There are not very many women of color in leadership in our NIS schools. How has it been to sit with your identity as leader of an independent school and also just as human being and woman of color on the planet at this time? Wow. So I'm going to jump in because, again, I don't want to speak after Karen coming up. So I've been, doing, I've been teasing her about it for years, right? It's just never going to stop. So I am, unless someone's hiding, the only African-American woman who's head of a Quaker school in the Philadelphia area, which is basically Quaker Mecca. Like, there's so many. And it's, it's interesting with all of the unrest, racial unrest, like, outright racist, white supremacist madness. I've had to strike a balance between, will I speak out every single time? When will I speak out? And when will I press our school committee or board to speak out? And I think that is an important balance because unfortunately we cannot assume that all minds are like minds, even in a Quaker school community. So at no time do I want it to be Brenda's agenda. You know, she's black, right? I mean, like I, that, I don't want that and it's you know so it, that piece has been difficult having come from sandy spring and, and the school before that doing a good bit of dei work like i needed to get it going and you know because i'm mm -hmm. already having to rodney and several other resources but get it going right it's not good enough to settle with those quaker testimonies and think that's enough lip service is no longer a viable option. I have been very forthcoming in my community, you know, right up from the point of my finalist interview. I'm kind of like, if you're good with this and all the boxes I check, then then we can move forward. If you have any hesitation, right, let's not, I'm too old for game playing. Um, I will say one of the challenges of being, I think it is definitely being a woman of color, but a woman of color as a head of school, but also being a female head of school is every so often my decisions are questioned 
my experience is questioned. I recently had somebody who said they want to talk to the board about a decision I made. And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. So those are pieces that, you know, like people who don't look like us, okay, who don't check those boxes may not have to endure as school leaders. So that part's stressful. There's an old gospel song, I don't feel no ways tired. That, that's kind of where I am, right? But yeah, I think there's an added level of stress for people of color in general, especially people of color who are administrators and heads of school. We've all had to have that journey that involves work harder, get better grades, jump higher, be faster, get it done, focus on the books, right? The proving does not cease. I've been in education. I, I started doing the math about how long I've worked in independent schools. It's getting dangerously close to, the, to 40 years. Dangerously close. I know it's stunning, isn't it? I started when I was... <laughs> Started when I was three, I was in the gifted teacher program. I'm saying (laughs) the proving never ceases. And so there are a number of people of color like, I don't want to have to teach white folks. I don't want to have to teach people how to be. I don't want to teach. The proving never ceases. So the teaching never ceases. The work never ceases. All right, I will now stand down and defer to the wonderful Karen. I miss this so much. I am the biggest. <laughs> one of the best things about division head meetings was being in the room with Brenda. I'm the president, vice president, treasurer, and secretary of Karen's fan club. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I've had some of the same experiences that Brenda had. When do I write? When do I not write? And I've had some moments when I've had to say to my team, like, I need to turn my camera off. We're in this conversation right now and, and we're hearing something, we're talking about something, we're referencing something that is is really striking home for me. And so I need to step away and sit by myself with this thing and then I will come back and, and that will be fine. But if I'm bringing my full self to this role, which is what you asked of me when we came and what we say we want from each other, then I need to step away right now. So I took that space for myself, but also making sure that that space was available to staff of color to say, you know, we're all sort of understanding this and dealing with this in different ways. And so please know that you've got flexibility, you have opportunity, you have people to talk to. Just know that, you know, the school as a whole wants to be supportive of you in this moment where some of these things will be hitting and, and, and it wasn't just the, the Black Lives Matter protests, but like the impact of the pandemic on people of color were affecting some of my folks in some really dramatic ways, too. So like space for all of that to be held. And, and, and of course, you know, the, the political stuff. I'm in North Carolina, so I, I literally can come out my street and make a right hand turn. And I could see two Confederate flags before I get to the next street where I can make a turn. So like. Like that all feels really real and present and in where I am and really hard sometimes. The the thing that I have appreciated though is that as a school, we had already gone through a strategic planning process that had really centered our equity and justice work in the strategic plan as a core sort of place that we were gonna devote energy and money and resources. And, and of all of the places that we were creating new initiatives in within the strategic vision, that's the one place that we haven't stopped. That work 
has continued and has really been affirmed and bolstered in, in a lot of ways by what's happening around us because people can see with even more clarity the urgency and the need to make sure that we are living our values. I mean, we all know as friend school heads that you know this that that idea of, of equity and justice and equality are 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 part of the the testimonies. They're throughout and part of the expectation and the history, although we know the history is not perfect, but a part of that historical sort of legacy. And so I've been grateful that 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 foundation existed in such a way that we could continue to build on it and refer to it and use it as a place to to ground ourselves. Again, not perfectly, but at least something to be able to go back and sort of try and grab hold of in the midst of all of this turmoil and difficulty. Mm. And thinking about that, Karen, that image of, of when you come out to the right of your campus and driving past those Confederate flags on your way, one of the first things I'd heard about when I got here on July 1 was, well, Karen Cumberbatch has painted Black Lives Matter on the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> at Carolina Friends School, and, and we need to be painting that too. And it was interesting because the Black students here said, we've not done enough work yet to paint that. That's something we can do when, when we know for sure that we understand what that means here. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, I never got a chance to call you and say, what was it like, what went into that decision, and how did the community react to, at that time, that was just after D.C. had painted Black Lives Matter way, and you mirrored it. Tell us about that. It was not a hard decision at all. It, it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't a week-long discernment. It, it wasn't any of that. It really actually was coming from the staff who were hearing some from the students, but really were saying, like, we want to have just another visual reminder of what we believe as a school and want to make that plain. And so it was really a, a question that was phrased something like, can we do this? And my response was, yes, we can. If that's where the community feels led, yes. Of course, that, that's not the only representation of what it is that we're doing. And so we keep up the, the rest of the work, which again, as I said, we had the good fortune of already being sort of in a significant um, push towards really understanding what our equity and justice work and goals needed to be still doing that but we that was already very much a part of the the conversation so it was not a hard decision it was one person and it was sort of along the lines of what you're saying Brodney like have you done all the work to to be able to put that and so that's where our commitment was we're just going to keep doing the work we're not going to claim that we're done because we're not but we do want to show where our hearts are and so we're going to keep moving um, forward mm -hmm. Mm, and I'm thinking about, you know, Sandy Spring Friends School, y'all know even better than I, sits right adjacent to the Underground Railroad in this community that was home to so many freed enslaved folks who then became homeowners and some of whom still live, descendants still live in this area. And so ripe with both Quakerism and that tension of sort of the deep racial divisions of the country. And it makes me think as Quaker leaders, where do y'all feel Quakerism really helps you to be able to stand out in moments like these? We always want to go back to the foundations and identities of our schools in this time. And where do we need to continue to push Quakerism, even 
as it has done so much to do even more to be the light that it sees in the world. I mean, I think that piece of seeing that of God in everyone is core. That doesn't go away, right? That doesn't go away. And sometimes we refer to, we refer to that as seeing a light, the light of God in everyone. Now, I, I dare say there's been some safety in that, right? Because mm-hmm. when you start looking at equality, equality is not necessarily equity. And so dare I say, is it possible that the light of some may shine a little brighter than the light of others? Or do we have problems seeing the light in all in an equal manner? So there's a challenge in my mind, right? If we are going to say that we do see that of God in everyone, that we see the value of everyone, that everyone's voice has an equal importance, then we got to do the work around that. So for me, that's like, you got to do some work. You got to decide that equity is important. You've got to decide that you can't hide under what we always say, you know, who we always say we are. So that's kind of like where my mind is right now. And that is what helps me continue to push. And I think it's what allows those people in this community that I'm pushing and that to, to be pushed, to invite being pushed. Like, oh, you're right. We can do better than the spices. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't have to just say, that's who we are. That's how we roll. You know, spices is good. Kumbaya, we're all, everybody's equal. No, 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 no. Not in this world. Everyone is not equal. Not even, right? Not even me. Mm-hmm. So not in, in the view of all. So right. that's, that for me is the challenge. I, I, don't, I think it's a perpetual challenge. I think, I think Quaker schools are far ahead simply because they are grounded in the values that they're grounded in, grounded in those beliefs, those testimonies, but we can't stay safe. We got to push the boundaries of all of those, right? Yeah, that's my thinking. And I would add, you know, I take a lot of, I, I have deep appreciation for that that Quaker testimony about uh, the truth is continually revealed, that idea of continuous revelation, so that if we are really committed to bringing in a diversity of people and of experiences and et cetera into our communities, then we can't expect them not to change. And so that the truth of that community develops out of who is in the community. And so even as our, our, our mission and, and those core values, you know, our missions are our missions, right? And But the way that we manifest that mission, the way that it shows up needs to be impacted by who's on the campus, what our truth is, and, and how we um, are understanding it. And being really cognizant of the fact that it's not going to be the same. It shouldn't be the same. Can't be the same. I, like I said, I take a lot of comfort in grounding myself in that because that that means that we all have to be looking for that how to do better. What, what did Tom used to say? What What does better look like? So you know, we all have to be thinking in that way, and that and that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about about friends education to that commitment to always trying to do and be better. Mm-hmm. Well, if there ever was a time to ask, what does better look like? <laughs> this this year, this season for us would be the time to ask, what does better look like as a nation, as a globe? Mm-hmm. 
So I love that you landed on that question that definitely Tom said that because it still echoes here. People are still asking that question. It's a great query. As we wrap up, I'm thinking about if we were to have this conversation on the Sandy Spring Friends campus. And I came by and said, Brenda, Karen, let's go, let's go talk, talk. Where would you take me? Where's your favorite place on campus? And I'll tell you, mine is right by the pond. And I almost stopped going there for a little bit because there was a rogue duck that would <laughs> meet you out by the pond <laughs> and wanted to be in every conversation that you were going to have. But that's my little spot right back there. What about yours? Where would you take me? You know, the geese are bad down there. The geese come back. They always have <laughs> the same spot and they have not to be tampered with. I've always loved the meeting house. I've, I've mm. always loved the meeting house at Sandy Spring. And and if it was going to be a walk and talk, I, I, I would go in the woods. I've always appreciated the, the woods around Sandy Spring too. You could physically, even though you were just steps away, be uh, away from all of the buildings, campus buildings, homes, all of that at, at certain places within the context of those woods. So, so walk and talk in the woods would also be, a, I think, a great reflective space um, to be in. So it depends on if I want to be entertained while I'm just kind of sitting. If that's the case, then the bench at the, at the top of the hill on the lower school playground, yeah, <laughs> there's always something going on out there. You just sit and watch. So yeah, for a walkabout, I would definitely go out, go down the drive on the side of the lower school and walk around the pond area, up the snakes too, I'm just saying. That's, yeah, I, I mean, I really, I really love that space. Sometimes we would have, a, you know, take a silent walk for meaningful worship and we'd go down that way and then end up through the woods a little bit. The meeting house though, yeah, is a gift. You know, I, I enjoyed having that key. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just having a, a quiet spot. I think of that with, with fondness, right? Like I would love to go back when we could finally come back and visit and like have company, so to speak. I would love <laughs> to stop by and spend a few minutes in the meeting house. It was a great place to go in there and sing a little hymn to yourself too when you needed like a moment just to <laughs> piano. Well, I will hold up that intention that We'll have y'all back on campus and that we will walk those places. And, and I'm loving ending singing with a, a hymn in the meeting house. <laughs> so thank y'all for sharing this moment with me and for just all that you've done to leave this school in such a powerful place and then to lead your own schools to powerful places. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the New Stories Podcast. 